Romans chapter 8. Let's look at verse 31 through 39 today. And when we um, started, we started, I think, a few weeks ago on this, on this theme of looking at Romans chapter 8. And I've just loved this chapter. I've said this before, but if I was stuck on an island and I could only have one chapter from the Bible to live on the rest of my Christian life, I would tear out Romans chapter 8 and I would fold it up and put it in my pocket because it's such a meaty chapter. I just love what Michael shared today. Thank you, Michael. That was just so, uh, such a heartfelt word. And it just kind of, it just goes so well with what we want to talk about this morning. What shall we say to these things? I love how, I'm just going to read through these verses. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What shall we say to these things? I like Paul. He's a little provoking here. What are we going to say to all of these things? And what is he talking about? He's talking about, I think, the last several chapters of the book of Romans where he's talking about justification, walking by faith, uh, victory over the struggle, the flesh has been uh, dealt with, the old man has been crucified. What should we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Verse 32, who, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Heavenly Father, we ask you to bless these words. We just thank you for the worship. And what we've already heard already, encourage us, Lord, we pray, and speak to us in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to start with a quote from George Mueller, who is just a man who is really acquainted with prayer. And when we look at prayer, I think it's easy for us to uh, be grace believers in everything. But when we look at prayer, we just get into this legalistic mode, like this is something i got to produce. George Mueller had a really beautiful understanding about how prayer uh, arises from the Holy Spirit in us in Romans chapter 8, praying when we don't know how to pray. He says this, The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith, and the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about separation anxiety. How many of you have ever had separation anxiety? Okay, My dog has it. And whenever we leave, whenever the, whenever the suitcases come out, my dog just gets really anxious. We've got to put her outside, but somehow she knows what's going on. She knows she's being put outside because suitcases are coming out, and so she barks all the more. Anxiety is different than fear. Do you know what the difference is? How many know what the difference between anxiety and fear is? Fear is an objective phobia of something that you can point at, you can look at, you can say, I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of spiders. I'm afraid of... Uh, I'm afraid of financial disaster. I'm afraid of these things. Anxiety is different. Anxiety is based on an awesome booklet called Cosmic Loneliness by our founding pastor, 
Uh, anxiety is when I take fears that I don't know how to deal with and I press them in and just push them down into the basement of my soul because I don't know the love of Christ and I'm living in separation and anxiety. And when we take, what happens when you take old smelly things and put them in your basement? What happens after a while? What happens? It just starts to smell, doesn't it? How many of you have a basement like that or a refrigerator? You used to have this food you don't know what to do with, and you put it in the back of your fridge, and just sits there and just begins to smell every time you open that fridge. That's anxiety. Anxiety is when I take something that I don't know how to deal with in my life, an unresolved conflict, uh, an issue that I don't know what the answer is, and I just push it down, and I just, out of sight, out of mind, but it's still there in my soul, and it begins to smell. And that's what anxiety is. It's anxiety by... Um, Psychologists who know what they're talking about, this is what they say. They say that anxiety really is undefined fear. It's what I don't, I don't know what I'm afraid of. I'm just worried. I don't know why I'm worried. Like Michael said, I woke up dry this morning. I, I woke up dry this morning, and that happens. And it doesn't mean that you're not a spiritual person. Can I say that? If you don't sense you have emotions, that's fine. If you don't have emotions for God, then go to just God and say, God, I don't have emotions for you. And that's a beautiful thing because then you get to discover the all-encompassing, powerful work of grace, the grace of God. Is that it's God who works in you, amen, to do his good of his will and his good pleasure. It is not my emotions. Oh, yeah, stir me up. And like, you know, like, and I just love the worship today because it wasn't that. It was just this, it was a spiritual communion with God. Anxiety is when we just don't know what we're afraid of. And it comes because of an undefined separation. It was said already this morning that peace, the peace of God, is that when we have two warring parties that are brought together and they are made at peace. We don't realize that God is for us. Yeah. Okay, we have this idea that God, God came after me with this reckless love, with this abandoning and sacrificing love. And he comes after me like... In Genesis chapter 2, what do we see? In Genesis chapter 2, we see a God come after fallen people. The first scene after God creates this amazing creation, and he calls it amazingly great, man fails. And what happens? We see God comes on the scene What with what? A big stick. I was driving up uh, 45, and, and we discovered a Bucky's. I love Bucky's. How many know I've been to Bucky's? That's a great place, man. I could live there. It's a great place. And they have like these interesting interesting items. And I think it's for truck drivers. They had this stick. Have you seen these sticks? For it's called it's for children. Oh, okay. Well I bought a bunch of them. I thought it was for truck drivers. And it's what they call a tire thumper, right? But I looked at it, I thought, this is like a weapon. I thought, okay, tire thumper, okay, that sounds good. I've never seen a truck driver thumping his tires, have you? So I figured I'm gonna I bought this and I thought, this is really great. It's in my car. And I'd have no idea what that illustration is all about. But I thought it was really cool. I love Bucky's. And uh, now I don't have separation anxiety because I got a stick in my car. I got, a, I got a tire thumper. What should we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Oh, this is what I wanted to say. God didn't come in on scene in the Garden of Eden with a tire thumper. He came in with an animal sacrifice. Blood was shed and there, were, there was a covering. And we're going to talk about that in a second. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? And there are several things here. There are, there are two parties of individuals or two parties that are being spoken about. The who and then the what. 
And there are 17 things that Paul lists here that cannot separate us from the love of Christ. Seven of them, seven of them have to do with people and what people can do to you. Ten of them are things that can happen to a person in their life. And these things cannot separate us from the love of Christ. Who can separate, who, if God be for us, who can be against us? Verse 31 says these things. These are Romans chapter 3 through 8. The question begs an answer. Who, not what, is against us? And Paul answers it with this exaggerated question. He said, if God did not spare his own son, will he not with him? And then we have grace vocabulary. Graciously give us. And I think the old King James uh, says freely gives us all things. We, we just don't, we don't, we don't grasp that because we are, we are people that so can so easily default to the flesh and the flesh is the guilty programming of the old man that just resides there, that is just kind of there, that kind of just wants to be in your mind. And when you wake up in the morning and you live with these emotions, that's just the flesh that's speaking to you. And that's why we need to be renewed in the spirit of our mind, moment by moment, day by day. I just, we're a new church here. And what my, my prayer as a pastor is, is that we would learn to go deep with God and go deep in the gospel, go deep in grace. Because you know something? A lot of us have been around, and we know that nothing else works out there. It does not work. The self-improvement program, the religiosity, that I'm, I'm going to be a promise keeper. I, I mean, God bless those. Those guys are awesome. But it's like it's God made the promise, and he made it between him and, him and his own son by two immutable things, God and his son, made this agreement so it's no no longer me promising that i'm not going to do something it's just me surrendering to the promises that i've already made god has answered with an exaggerated question if god did not spare his own son if god gave everything oh no i'm not going to answer that prayer for you to be uh, to have wisdom as a as a a dad no i'm not going to answer that prayer you got to work harder on that no that doesn't make any sense if god gave us all things freely if God gave his son, uh, will he not give us all things freely? What I want us to understand is, is that the, this is the mode that we live in, the, in the details of our life. And I want to make this really practical for us. Verse 33, then he starts asking these questions. Who shall bring any charge of God against God's elect? God's elect. It sounds like just the, the VIPs, right, of the universe. I fly into Ukraine and I fly into some of these countries that are really hard hit economically. They always have this van that comes out to the, to the plane. I don't know if you've ever been in this situation. And it says VIP on it. And if you pay an extra 45 bucks, you get to get out of the plane first. And you get to have everybody gets to look at you with your cool, you know, the way you're dressed. And you get to be like four or five people just get, get to get out of the plane first, get in this cool van and just drive like... 50 meters or, or 50 feet over to the airport and you get to walk in first but then everybody you know then everybody's together waiting for their luggage we are God's VIPs we are the elect by the grace of God and what does it say here it says that who shall bring any charge against God's elect it is God who justifies you know what that means that means when we talk about judgment ooh, scary word right there first John chapter 4 verse 17 Remember that verse that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. When we talk about, when we talk, and I think that because we've been programmed with religiosity and 
and such a moralistic type of Christianity, it is very easy for us to hear certain Christian words and then just have a negative emotion associated to that. Does that, does that make sense to you? Like when we hear the word repentance, we're like, oh, something inside of me cringes. It's just a very big word that very just means, you know what? I'm changing my mind about the grace of God and the power of God in this situation. I'm going to look to him and he's going to renew my mind. He's going to give me that gift of repentance. When we look at this word judgment, I don't know about you guys, but in 1 John 4, 17, I am excited about that day because... We have confidence in that day. We're like, as a Christian who understands the love of God and what we're going to talk about here today, we're not living in this cringing fear because that doesn't please God. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says that faith pleases God. And when we talk about that day when we stand before Jesus Christ and he sees us face to face and we have that personal moment with Jesus Christ, um, which is called the Bema Seat, it's not going to be this moment where, you know what, I'm going to get chewed out by God and chewed out by Jesus and chewed out by Peter at the gate. That's not what's going to happen. It means that at that moment, there's going to be this, in Revelation chapter 3, it says that he gives us a rock, a special stone, which is a monument. And he gives us a name that only that he and I, he and you know. And what that name means that nobody else knows, it's, it's stuff that goes on between you and Jesus that nobody knows about. And it's, and it's, it's, it's in that it's, it's embodied in that monument, in that statue, in that rock, and, it, and when we, in, that, in, that, in that name that he gives us. Does that make sense? That when we see him, you know, when, you know when, you're, when you're married or you have an amazing friendship or you're very close with someone, there are things that you don't talk a lot about that you've been through because you've been through it and that God has been faithful. I am excited. We don't need to live in fear of the judgment because Fear is not of God. And he that lives in fear has not been made perfect, has not been perfected in his experience in love. Does that make sense? When we understand, when we digest the love of God, then it brings in confidence in our life. It brings, uh, brings in confidence. It means that when I, at my job or in my business or in my sales or in my marriage or when I'm, when I'm like, when I don't know, like, does my kid love me or not? I can live in confidence because I'm in the love of Christ. And we're going to look at that in a second. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God and indeed is interceding for us. What does that remind you of, those words right there? It reminds me of John 8, the woman caught in adultery. And I don't know why churches don't preach more about that chapter. That's an awesome chapter. I think when that happens in today's world, you know, it's everybody at, in, a, in a global way, in a collective way, shame that individual that failed. But you know what Jesus does? He says, you that are without sin. And a lot of Greek scholars believe that when Jesus is saying you that are without sin, he's actually saying you that are without that particular sin. And there are even some scholars that even go farther and say, you that are not guilty of that particular sin with this particular woman, you can you can leave first. And it says that that they all left. And there was this woman that was that was in this situation that was ready to lose her life, to be stoned, and she's there with Jesus, and Jesus says, Where are your accusers? I love that. Isn't that great? Yeah. That's what Jesus says. When you live in accusations, when people are accusing you, or when you are accusing yourself, that is not glorifying God. That does not that is not humility. Living in self-accusation or living in self-humiliation is not, 
That is not, Jesus says, where are your accusers? And what does she say? There are none. There are none, Lord. And that's why there is none. There can no, no one can accuse. Does that mean, what does that do for us? Does that mean that I just go out and live like a hellion the way I want? No, it does not. It, when, when, a, when a child has been taken out of an incredibly disastrous situation and put inside the safe arms of God, is he thinking about going back into danger? Is he thinking about going into that situation? No, because not only has Jesus been crucified, not only has he, bear, has he borne all of your sins, yesterday's sins and today's sins, and sins from 20 years ago that are hidden in the closet, he has paid for those. And not only has he paid for them, but he's been buried. And when he was buried, he rose from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, it says in Ephesians 4, that he gives gifts to men. What does that mean? He gives you a brand new nature, a brand new you. And this is the part that I feel like that sometimes, and I grew up in a church as a little kid before I came into this ministry, and we would hear the death, the burial, the resurrection. Now do good. (laughs) But they forget the part about the new nature. The, the brand new nature in you that's in 1 John that says that wants God. In Romans chapter 8, that cries out for God. Amen. That when you, <clears throat> if you were to drop that nature, it would not go down into the dust. It would go up towards God. There's a part of you Amen. and I that wants God, that desires God. And it, it, who is he to condemn? There are none, Lord. And what does Jesus say? With this new nature I'm giving you and with the eradication of all your accusers, you are a new person. Go and sin no more. Do we know if she goes and sin no more? That, we don't know that. It's interesting. It's funny. We'd like to know. We, some of us would like to hear this. And she repented of all of her sins, and she never did that again. And she became an amazing person, and she served on the hospitality team, and she went out on outreach, and she did home. There's none of that in there. You know, It's just so interesting. God, why didn't you put that in there? Because maybe that's not the point. The point is, is that she's forgiven, that she's yes. set free. Yes. And you know, I think if we could grasp the point that we are forgiven, that we are set free, and we have a brand new identity, all that other stuff doesn't matter. It just means we are brand new creatures in Christ. Who, and then he asks another question. He says this, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And there's seven who's like that, seven who's. Um, tribulation. What's tribulation? It's just hard times. Remember, this is a who. People can cause very hard times in your life. I think some of the greatest suffering in a person's life is from just relationship. It can just be relationship can cause so much tribulation, distress. distress. I'm just so distressed. Have you ever been so tired? I felt like this the other day. You feel, feel so physically tired that every nerve in your body starts to ache. Distress. Persecution. Now, some of these, this is, a, this is kind of like a crescendo of like a, like a, uh, just a more intensification of a process. Tribulation, distress, persecution. I don't know if you've been persecuted for your faith, but I know a guy in Baltimore. He came out of a gang in downtown Baltimore City. And, um, and when he came out of it, uh, he was actually in jail. He was in a gang, wound up in jail. And they said that if you leave this gang, we're going to, we're going to end your life. We're going to kill you, and we're going to, we're going to hurt those that are dear to you. And so he, he was trapped in this gang, and he found Christ and when he um, and he said and, and and when they said that to him, there were these two guys. And he said, uh, this gang leader said to this guy, "These are the two guys who are going to chase you down. They're going to end your life if you leave this gang." And you know what happened? 
he was in jail, he got saved, he got out of jail, and he said, Lord, I want to follow you, I want to, I want to get into this church, I'm going to get discipled, but, but you have to deal with these two guys. One of them wound up in jail, and the other one wound up, his, his, uh, he was killed in an accident. And you know, this, 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 this was persecution. They told him that if you follow Christ and you get into that church, we are going to kill you. No, there's weird kinds of persecution that happens today. Many of us have not experienced persecution like our brothers and sisters have overseas. They say, the Catholic Church says this, that in the year 2016, over 100,000 Christians, now this is the Catholic Church saying this, 100,000 Christians lost their lives in the year 2016 because of their faith. 100,000 people have lost their lives because of their faith in Jesus Christ. We don't hear about that on the news. How about famine? Famine, just just absolute famine. Famine, times when there's no food and when there's disease and pestilence, nakedness. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I haven't. When you have no clothes, you have nothing. Can that separate us from the love of Christ? No. Danger and then sword. These are seven things that cannot separate us from the love of Christ. I don't know if we as American Christians are going to go through those things. But if we do, remember this, that this cannot separate you from the love of Christ. And that's, that means this, is that when you look at the word, or when you think of the principle of the love of God, theologically, it talks about your unity with God. It means that you are in Christ, and that we are in Christ, and that we are not in our sin, that we are not in our problems, but we are in Christ. And when we understand this unity, this love, that means that we will never be Separated, But then it says this very interesting thing, and I didn't see it until yesterday. And it said, verse 37, no, in all these things we're, I'm sorry, the second part of that verse in verse 36, for, you, for your sake you are killed all the day. We are, we are as sheep accounted or as for the slaughter. When you think of that, it's kind of an odd verse. It's a quotation from an Old Testament verse to be putting in there. And what he's saying is this, he says, no, in all these things, and he begins, to, he begins to talk about conquering. What does that mean? I think for the first time I saw it like this, and look at this verse with me this way. Yes, as a Christian, we may be in a place where we are suffering a lot for other people. We can actually become a doormat in many situations. We may, become, we may be in a situation in a marriage maybe, that is just not going the way I wanted to, and I feel like I'm getting killed every day. But you know something? That's not where our Christianity ends. <clears throat> I think that sometimes you hear this message, hey, you know something? you got to get killed all the day long because you're a sheep accounted for the slaughter. Our Christianity doesn't end there. It goes to the next step. It says, no. It says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And what it is saying here is this is Hebrew... It's this Hebrew um, literary way of saying, saying that despite all these things, we are more than conquerors. Now, if you remember one thing from this message, I want you to remember this, that yes, the Christian life involves a lot of suffering. It involves a lot of laying our life down. It involves um, a lot of situations that we are exalting Christ and not living in the, in the programming of our flesh. But it doesn't end there. It says no. It says that this is not the only thing that's happening in your life. There's something that's even greater. More In all these things, we are more than conquerors. What's more than a conqueror? 
When someone has conquered an entire empire, what are they? Conquer. Conquer. But what's the next word? They are king. They are a ruler. They are someone with authority, right? And this is what Paul is saying here. He's saying that we are rulers. The conquering has already happened through him who loved us. We are, when, we, when, it, when the Bible says you are more than conquerors, and remember this, I want you to get this, and I'm going to be done in five minutes. <clears throat> okay? Set your, set your stopwatches. <laughs> that when, we, <clears throat> when it says that we are more than conquerors, it doesn't mean to go out there and just beat the devil up and just kick some devil butt or whatever. I mean, you can, call, you can hear, you hear all this stuff out there. What it means is, it means that when we live in the communion of the love of Christ towards us, we are functioning, whether we feel it or not, in ruler mode. We are conquering. When I feel I'm defeated in a situation, when I feel like I'm beat up in a relationship, when my business isn't going good, when, when my kid doesn't look, like me anymore, when my dog doesn't like me anymore, fellowship, and that doesn't happen with me, fellowship with the love of Christ, fellowship just, just and like Michael said, I love that, Get alone with God in your sanctuary, wherever that is, in your car, in your garage, in your basement. Get alone and get quiet before God and just begin to listen to his voice that encourages you that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, who loved us, who loved us. When did he love us? He loved us 2,000 years ago before you and I could ever have any history in the flesh, any history in our, in our old man, any history whatsoever Jesus uh, uh, dealt with our relationship and that makes us more than conquerors. And I want to, and in verse 38, for I am sure, for I am sure, Paul says, I am persuaded. The root word here is the root word for faith. He means I'm faithed out. That's one way you can translate that word. I'm so persuaded, I'm, I'm so faithed out that neither death nor life, nor angels, principalities. And he begins to give this list of 10 things. I don't want to go through all of them right now. But death, death, the ultimate, that ultimate moment of separation. My wife and I, of course, were in Poland a few weeks ago for the funeral of her mom. And as, as, as we were at that funeral, and as the casket was going into the ground, there's that moment of separation. You feel this moment of separation. I really love my, my mother-in-law. She's an amazing woman. Death was destroyed. Think about this. Death was destroyed in 2 Timothy 1 verse 10. And, and, and life was brought through the gospel. You know what? Death has been destroyed. Death for us is not something that we need to live in fear about. It's just a moment of transition. Life, angels, principalities, powers, things present. That means, things present means the, the situation that's at hand. It's the 14 text messages that you have not answered yet. Things at hand. Okay? It's the bills that need to be paid. Things to come, the inevitable or seemingly scary things that are going to happen, nor heights. You know what that word heights means? It doesn't talk about the fear of heights. It, is the, it means someone or something that is raised up in pride and is unstoppable. You ever in a situation where you, are, you seem to be the victim of a very arrogant person that doesn't seem to have in any way any way to stop that person cannot separate you from the love of Christ. But we know he cannot separate you from the love of Christ or she. But what does that mean practically? It means that in that moment, I can have communion with God. I can think with God and say, you know something? I feel very rejected and very, uh, very taken advantage of in this circumstance. But in this moment, 
I am valuable. I am loved. I am, I am, I am, um, I'm cherished. I am nurtured. And I'm not this what, and, and sometimes people will project at you their, their weird concept of who you are. And you've got to remember that that's not the way God sees you, nor depth. Depth here talks about the deep unseen currents that cause anxiety. You ever been out in, in the ocean? And the, and the East Coast is like this. You get out there, you go off far enough, and you feel like underneath, going against your knees, is another current. Deep here talks about currents that are unseen that can cause anxiety. And then in verse 10, he says, nor any other creature, nor any other creature. And he's saying, just in case I forgot something, nothing else that's ever been created will be able to separate us. Here's, here's the point. This word here will be able, will not be able to separate. None of these 17 things can separate you. You know what it means there? A Greek word there says this. It means that there, it does not even have the ability to. It doesn't mean that, that they're able to, and then it's like at the rodeo, you see this incredible 800-pound bull, or 800 pounds? Yeah, 800-pound bull. And he's behind this thing, and he is able to kill people, but he's behind the fence. No, the Bible says here that these things, they're not only limited, and they're not only being held back, but, they're, but their ability that they had to separate you from the love of God has been disabled and is no longer able to is no longer able to separate you and this word separate is such a strong verse such a strong word and it means this it means to put space between two objects it means to divide it means to sever it means to cut off like when you cut when you cut the lifeline off to something or someone God isn't angry with us today He's not in heaven with his tire thumper waiting to beat us up. Think of it. Just think of the logic of this. If God began a good work in your life, isn't he going to be faithful to finish it? I mean, if God is so excited about and so amazed at you and I to come after us in such a radical, reckless way, will he not be faithful to complete what he began in your life? Do we have a deistic type of uh, theology where God saves us and then he just disappears from the scene like, a, like, a, like an absent dad? No. He has saved us and he's going to bring it to pass. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ and we don't need to live in anxiety. When you feel those things of anxiety, don't try to figure it all out. Just say, you know what? I don't know why I feel this way, but I'm going to bathe. It says in the book of Jude, I'm going to keep myself in the love of God. I'm going to fellowship with that, with that truth that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And no sin, no person, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Somebody said to me the other day, I can't take, I take, I can't take communion because I'm not in fellowship with God. And I thought about that. What does that mean? What does that mean that I can't take communion because I'm out of fellowship with God? What does it mean that I'm out of fellowship with God? It's exactly, we, we can't say that when we read these verses that I'm out of fellowship with God. Just because you're not talking to God doesn't mean that God's not talking to you. You are not in something that Jesus has already paid for. Somebody may say, well, I'm in sin and I'm out of God's sphere. And No, that's just all wrong. When we think about you are in Christ and, if it, and when it says that, and this is a whole other message, 
don't buy the lie of the devil and live in something that's just such a lie. Because it's a, Why is it a lie? Because it's not who you and I are. We are new creatures in Christ. And there's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. The, the closeness of God to you is closer. His spirit is closer to you than your own soul is closer to you. Amen. His spirit, his presence is closer to you than anything that, that you can even think about yourself. His love is closer to you than your fear. What's fear? It's just the absence of the love of God. That's all it is. It's just a vacuum that sucks in everything else. As we pray here tonight, today, think with me about this great love of God. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Let's think about this great love of God that God so loved the world. Let's not be familiar with this verse. God so loved the world that he sent sent with purpose, with power. He directed, he guided. He shot out his son like a, out of a cannon into this world. God so loved us. If he has done this, if he sent his own son and he did not spare his own son, will he not freely? That word freely, if it wasn't there, we, we could say, well, I sent my son, but going to be grudgingly I got I'm, I'm in this I'm in this commitment I gotta I gotta follow through grudgingly no it says freely freely Lord we pray for that quickening and that renewal of our minds to understand that there's nothing that we have to worry about it's not like that I God saved me and now I got to keep myself in my own power we are kept by the power of God until that final day this is a new way to look at your, your, walk, your, your relationship with God. This is a new way to look at our salvation. And if we, if we wander off that path of grace, God's grace is so powerful and so loving and so kind and so amazing that he's going to come after us. He's going to send us his two hound dogs, grace and mercy, that will follow us all the days of our lives. Someone say, well, you could, then if you get off that path, God's going to really beat you up. No, he's not. He's going to send... He's going to send two amazing search dogs after you. Grace and mercy, it says in, the, in, uh, in Psalm 23. And they're going to chase you down. They're going to knock you down. And they're going to lick you to death. They're going to love you to death. They're going to love you back onto that road of grace and mercy. Why? Because grace is not just a philosophy. Grace is not just a theory. And it's not just some kind of, uh, some kind of interesting thought. It is a person. It is Jesus Christ. And when we are saved by grace, oh boy, he's going to keep us by grace. And if you're here this morning and you don't know what's going on in your life, maybe you're just kind of whacked out a little bit. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you're upset. Maybe you're just here by, by invitation. Just say, Jesus, I'm calling out to you today. Just make my week a different kind of week. Change my life. I, I look to you today. I'm looking to you to change some things in my life. I cannot save myself. I cannot change myself. The disciples said, tell us what the work of God is. And Jesus said, the work of God is just to believe. Free fall into the everlasting arms of God that are beneath you. And stop trusting in your own goodness. And just draw near to God. Just say yes to God today. If you're, not, if you're here and you don't know if Jesus is your Savior, just say to Jesus. I know you died for me. I know you're knocking on the door of my heart. I'm opening the door today, August 5th, 2018. Come into my life and set me free. And if you prayed that prayer this morning, just tell somebody, say, hey, you know what? I asked Jesus to come into my life. 
so that we can rejoice with you. Let's stand together and sing.